I'm going to change up my homily a little bit. This is going to be a little different from the, the two previous homilies that I gave. <clears throat> I really want to talk about religious life, and then I want to apply that to all of us. So when I'm talking about religious life, I'm talking about both priesthood and consecrated religious life. But I'll just simplify it by calling it religious life. And what is religious life? Religious life is where a Catholic... Uh, um, joins a Catholic religious order, or in my case, a diocese, and becomes a priest, a monk, or a sister, or a nun, sort of thing. And they take vows. They take a vow of poverty, celibacy, and obedience. Involved in here is prayer, too. So there's really kind of four vows that always go into this, these four. Some religious orders have additional vows, and diocesan priests, like myself, don't actually take a vow of poverty. We take a vow of simplicity of life. So I could inherit a million dollars from my family and I don't have to give it away to anybody, whatever sort of thing. But I still need to live a life of simplicity. I have not inherited a million dollars. You don't have to worry about that. (laughs) So, but that's what I mean. So the monks, the nuns, the religious sisters, the priests, etc. This is what I mean by religious life. Today this wealthy man approaches Jesus. And there's some dynamics about this that we easily read over or hear over and don't really catch. It says that Jesus was setting out on a journey. That means that Jesus and his apostles, his entourage, were getting ready. They had their their stick with the sack on the end of it, you know, pre-backpack days sort of thing. And they were getting ready to go somewhere. It was obvious they were going somewhere. It was obvious because a man ran up to them. The man runs, not walks. He runs up to him, and then the man kneels down in front of Jesus. That's, That's odd. He kneels down in front of Jesus. And he says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right. There's a question behind the question, though. I'll get to that in a moment. And Jesus says, well, to inherit eternal life, you need to follow what were then the precepts, which is just basically follow the commandments. And Jesus rattles off a few, and the man man says, teacher, I've observed all these from my youth. And then this is really important. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus is very happy with him. You follow the commandments. I am very happy with you. I love you. And then Jesus says, but you're lacking in one thing. And then he says, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then and come and follow me. And the man can't do it. He can't do it. He says, he went away sad for he had many possessions. He couldn't do it. His possessions meant more to him than Jesus. But Jesus had told him what he would get in return. He says, you will have treasure in heaven. Don't worry, you'll have treasure in heaven. But you've got to let go of your treasure on earth to obtain it, to get it. This is what people in religious life have done. They have decided that they're going to store up treasure in heaven. They may or may not be happy in this life, probably no more so or less than anyone else, but they recognize in this life that like Jesus and his apostles, they too are going to have to carry a cross and do it publicly like Jesus and his apostles, be different from everyone else like Jesus and his apostles, suffer some kind of marginalization and persecution and definitely not fit in with the wider popular culture. And then one day, you know, have heaven. All right. So, this is what this wealthy young man is asked to do. 
He's asked to forfeit the three goods that were left to Adam and Eve after the fall in the garden. Adam and Eve walk out of the Garden of Eden with five things. Okay, number one is their life. God didn't kill them right away. God would kill them by natural death hundreds of years later. God had told them, if you touch that tree, I'll have to kill you. So they haven't died yet, so they still have their life. We weren't supposed to die, just so you know. Adam and Eve and you and I and God's original plan was that we would all, like the angels, be created with no death. But sin entered in, and with sin comes suffering and death. So they're going to die, but they leave the Garden of Eden still with their life. The second is, they leave Garden of Eden with marriage intact. It's kind of beyond their life, the one other thing they have. They don't have clothes or cars or possessions or children or anything else, but they do have their life, and they do have their marriage. And these are the three goods left to man is family, acquiring of goods, and self-determination. Family, because without family, as I said last Sunday, there is the extinction of the human race. If Adam and Eve don't come together in matrimony and have Cain and Abel and Seth and all their children, then the human race stops with Adam and Eve, and it stops with us when we don't come together in a family. So family is necessary for the survival of the human race. So is the acquiring of goods. Adam and Eve have to feed themselves. They have to find shelter. They have to acquire goods to survive. And the last one is self-determination. Like the angels, man has been given the ability to make up his own mind for God or against God. And that's ultimately the ultimate decision of every angel and man is to serve God in the perfection of heaven for eternity or to be disobedient to him in the hell of hell for eternity. These three things are what every human being possesses. Family, acquiring of goods, and self-determination. The wealthy young man is asked to give all of this up, like Jesus and the twelve apostles, if he's going to sell all of his possessions and go follow Jesus, which means saying goodbye to the wife and the kids and whatever they're going to do. And remember, the twelve apostles... Judas will kill himself, and then and ten of the eleven will leave Israel for foreign lands. And they will die in foreign lands. They will have kissed their family members goodbye for the rest of this life. And they will live begging for their food and shelter. They will be celibate. They will live in poverty and obedience. They will have forfeited family by celibacy, the acquiring of goods by poverty, and self-determination by obedience. The three vows that all religious make. The only three things Adam and Eve walked out of the garden with are the three things that God demands of the religious. And the wealthy young man can't do it. He He just can't do it. But the invitation is there. And the invitation, honestly, is there for any man or woman who runs up to Jesus and puts themselves on their knees in front of him and says, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus say, follow the commandments. Yeah, but what do I need to do to follow you, to be like one of those guys over there? Then you need to be celibate, live in poverty and obedience. And there is where the vast majority of people will not do it. 
They think, but if I'm celibate, if I, if I live in poverty, if I'm obedient, and if I don't have family acquiring the goods and self-determination, I can't be happy. That's a lie. One can be happy. But that's not the reason why people become priests and monks and nuns and religious sisters, etc. They don't do it for this happiness in this world. This world's passing away. It'll be over in the blink of an eye. They do it for love. For love of God and love of neighbor. Just like Jesus went to Calvary and died on that cross for love of God and love of neighbor. Not because it made him happy. Of the twelve apostles, Peter says, Hey, Jesus, what are we going to get for like following you? You know, we've given up everything. And Jesus says, Oh, Peter, you have no idea what you're going to get. You're going to get eternal life. You're going to get the hundredfold in the kingdom of heaven, Peter. Jesus says, There was no one who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now in this present age. New houses, new brothers, new sisters, new mothers, new children, new lands. Now the church becomes your family. It becomes your provider, etc. And with persecutions, though, you get to live in the world like the world. You get to kind of squirt around persecution. You live in the church as a consecrated religious, like Jesus and the twelve apostles. There will be persecution. There will certainly be marginalization, and you won't you won't fit in with the broad, easy road that almost everyone is on, as Jesus says. The narrow, difficult mountain. Ooh complete with snowstorms and avalanches and vipers on the way, boulders, cliffs, only inches away, that narrow difficult mountain, an eternal life in the age to come. Jesus is a promise keeper. He has never, ever, in his eternal life, broken a promise, not one promise ever to any human being, ever. And if he says, believe me when I tell you, If you will come after me and follow me, if you will lay down your life for me, I will pay you back beyond your wildest imagination for eternity. Not for the blink of an eye, which is the passing of the world, which everyone here will be dead, probably by mid-century, certainly by the end of this century. The United States of America will come to an end at some point. The earth, as we know from the word of God, will be burned by fire and there will be a new heavens and a new earth even the earth as we know it is passing away as Jesus says so there it is holy cow there's the pearl the great price the treasure it's to give my life completely to God to give my life completely to him and to trust him that it will be alright but almost no one will, not, not in the way that Jesus invites the consecrated religious. We like to think, oh, well, I appreciate the church, and I appreciate priests, and I appreciate nuns and monks and all of that. I can appreciate that. I'm really happy they're there for me. But me becoming one of them? No thanks. Not my calling. That's what people like to say. And if you're married and you've got kids and all that, then it's certainly not your calling. But before you got married and had kids lost your mind or your health or whatever it was it could have been and we like to think well no 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 no. God wanted me to get
get married from the get-go and, and to be like everyone else, like Adam and Eve, family requiring a good self-determination. He never wanted me to do those supernatural things of being celibate and impoverished and obedient. Well, he never insisted. He never insisted to the wealthy young man. He just says, but you're going to have eternal life, but if you want this, you've got to let go of all that. It's super, super hard to do. So know that for every Catholic who is of sound mind and body, and you don't have a, a something holding you back, like a spouse or, or a child or some other thing that makes you responsible to another, etc., that you can, you can be like this wealthy young man and be invited to give it all away and follow Jesus. It's not the one in a thousand. Are you the one in a thousand? I once saw this vocation. Somebody put it up in the narthex over there in the vocation board. It had this kind of silhouette of all of these men's heads, like a hundred men's head. And there was one that was white and said, could you be the priest sort of thing? Is if Jesus is only calling one in a hundred or one in a thousand. No, he's calling every single male who can to come and follow The invitation is out there for all of us, but we don't do it. We're scared to death. We're scared to death. We're scared even in a restaurant to make the sign of the cross, let alone put on a habit or a collar to go away from family and to not have one ourselves. It seems like we're just going to annihilate ourselves with utter, absolute misery. Well, with that attitude, we would. But what if I knew that in the life to come, it was going to be worth it, and then some. There's something in what Jesus says here. He says, There is no one who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now, in this present age, and in eternal life to come. What he's saying to the wealthy young man and to you and me is, if we could give it all away to Jesus, if we could trust him with our spouse, with our children, with our happiness, with our freedom, with our possessions, if we could trust him, that even now in this present age, in this life, something will be given to us. And he says, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, but the something that's given in this life is love, deep love, purpose, meaning. People are dying for a lack of purpose and meaning. The wealthy man who leads this, leaves the suicide note behind and says, I couldn't stand the happiness anymore. He had all the money in a mansion and everything in the world I had to offer and all of that, and he was still miserable because he didn't have his purpose, he didn't have his meaning. Why? Why continue on with all of the world's possessions when I'm miserable? Because it was never about this world. In this life, in this life, for those who can give it all away, you'll be rewarded dramatically. Not as the world rewards with pleasure, but with something far deeper and meaningful than that. Love. Love. Lay it down, love. Love. The deepest, most painful, most rewarding kind. And then in the next life, 
you can't imagine. You can't imagine. And you'll take souls home to heaven with you. They'll be your pride and joy in the next life. That we've got to have more faith in the wealthy young man. We've got to work on that. It doesn't happen overnight. For each one of us, let's recognize the goodness of giving our life completely to God. And let's work on growing our trust in Him. That the more I can give away to Him, the more I'll receive in return. All the way up to and including our life. I finish with a little bit from the first reading, which is from the Book of Wisdom. In the Old Testament, there's a number of books called the Wisdom Books. And in the Wisdom Books, you hear about wisdom sort of thing. And when we read that, we understand wisdom to be a couple of things. One is the virtues. So when we hear about wisdom, I sought to obtain wisdom. But that is the virtues. I sought to obtain faith and hope and prudence and temperance and courage and humility and patience and kindness and meekness and perseverance. And this is wisdom. All these virtues. And these are a much greater treasure than the gold and the silver. But more than that, when we read in the Old Testament from the wisdom books, it's really talking about God, the Holy Spirit. So just pulling out of that reading that we heard in our first reading today, I quote, All gold in view of her, wisdom, is a little sand, and before her, wisdom, silver is to be accounted mire. Imagine if her is God, is the Holy Spirit. All gold in view of God is just a little sand. And before her, God, silver is mire, is nothing. Even if I was to hold up gold and look at it and go, oh, isn't that pretty? It's still not as neat as this. Hold up gold and I look at that flower and that flower eclipses this. We can go into outer space and we still cannot make something as beautiful as one flower. And yet we will kill each other for gold and silver and to be the best looking and the coolest and the whatever. And it's all passing away. And it will be over in the blink of an eye. And then it's eternity. Eternity. So as we work to grow our faith in Jesus Christ and to walk that walk and to give away to God, metaphorically to God, our will and our fears and our whatever, and it takes time and it steps and degrees, it's so helpful to realize that like Adam and Eve, we're going to pass from this world. And we came into the world with nothing and we leave it with nothing but for God.